Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. We're going to be um, covering architectural design of Khufu's Great Pyramid. So we're going to be talking about the Great Pyramid amongst other things to do with the pyramid and, and just general life and lifestyle during that time. Now we've got a expert here who's uh, written some uh, great articles and uh, he, his website of course is up on our website as well so it's one click and you'll get his uh, ebooks and um, articles and all sorts of information great pictures as well and um, that is Chio, so C H E O P S P Y R A M I D dot com. And again, that's on the website for us old guys that can hardly read. And our guest, well, here he is, the one and only Manu Saf Zayad. Hello, Al. Safe Zade. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're, you're lucky. Actually, you got me on. You know, some of the other hosts, they'd be so <laughs> accurate, and 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 I'm not. Well, you got the first four letters. That, that, that's a start. That's a start. You know, I think that, um, you know, I think it's funny, because I, I came from a French culture, and I learned, and then English became second language, and now uh, I'm trying to learn back English for the show, and it doesn't—it doesn't always work. 
<laughs> well, I, my last name is maybe not the right thing to practice English with, so because it isn't an English name to begin with. Uh, it's an Iranian name. So my father is Iranian. My mom is German. Uh, and just like you, I, I actually grew up in Germany and in Iran, and English is my third language. Oh, crazy, hey? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just noticed it in places like when I'm traveling around the world and I'll say something and then they'll guess where I'm from, but it's not really right. It's just, it's where I've <laughs> learned to speak that English word. <laughs> yeah, well, the easiest way to remember, uh, as I was saying, is, is saves the day, saves the day. That's, that's the best way. But we'll, we'll stick with Manu, first He's, name. He saves the day. Right. And, Sometimes. And, and, so, wow. So you had uh, Iranian uh, and German. So were were you always interested in this sort of uh, subject, you know, of architectural design and or the pyramids? No, not at all. I may, just very peripherally, like uh, like many of us, we watch TV, History Channel, Discovery Channel, and there's interesting programs about history. And some of those programs dealing with Egypt, I always like to watch them. Um, but no, ne never to this detail. Did that all started uh, maybe seven, eight years ago? Uh, could have been ten years ago when I read The Orion Mystery by Robert Bouval. Um, I think that was the first step that got me uh, much more interested than before. And um, and then I I did a little bit more reading, not much more. Watched a few um, maybe documentaries. One of the main one of the documentaries that really got me was uh, the Pyramid Code by um, the, the five part series. Um, uh, that that was that was very haunting for me to watch. I love that. Um, but and then about two years ago. Uh, I, I really got very heavily into Egyptology and the Great Pyramid, and I wrote a book. Uh, a book came out of that in 2016, and since then it's been m almost more than a hobby. What is it about Egyptology that, that um, has kept you on, kind of like captured you? Well, it's the, it's the original House of Mystery, Al. <laughs> the Great Pyramid, I think. I think it has a way to get people, um, and that's from a distance on TV and from reading books. And, and then when you go to Egypt and you stand in front of it, uh, it's impossible to escape the grips. I, it's such, a, such an amazing place, the Giza Plateau, and the other monuments in Egypt as well. Uh, so not just Giza, um, it, just gets, it just grabs you and it won't let you go. But what about it? Like, I think what I get at is um, there's other lost civilizations or, you know, times that where people have had uh, great life and, you know, wealth. And yes. What, what is it about the Egyptian? Is it the whole lifestyle? Is it the way that they dressed, behaved, um, worked within the world? Um, was there anything in particular, do you think? Yeah, that's that's an evolving experience for me, if, uh, because I'm also now learning the language. So if you ask me now, um, part of that is that you have a you gain a, you can gain an insight into how they were thinking. Um, at, you get a glimpse of it at least by reading the, the by learning how to read, 
what they what they said um, by looking at the inscriptions in the monuments, and then of course the art is is incredible. Um, the, the, but also the mystery of the architecture. So the monuments are monumental, and they uh, and to this day we we're still mystified by how how they made them. Uh, in some some cases, um, we 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 could not reproduce it now. And I think that's that's a lot of the mystery there. There's monuments all over the world, and people now are looking at that um, to see when they were built. And that's of course that's another problem is because you can't date monuments built of stone because uh, you can't date the stone, and so that further adds to the mystery. Uh, and then all these esoteric connections between the monuments and astronomy. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it, it all. It's a big, it's a big stew, and and you know, once you take a sip of it, and then and then, especially when you go to Egypt, then uh, you get caught up in it, and it's it's a lot of fun. Wow, certainly sound incredibly interesting. Now you've been spending a lot of time there in the last few years, and. I was going to say, have you noticed a change in the way that it is to visit and work in Egypt over all of the last turmoil over the last years? Uh, I've been there twice now, um, and that was long after the turmoil. The turmoil was, was seven, eight, almost eight years ago. Um, I went there in 2018, and I just came back last month, and the answer to your question is no. Um, I felt completely safe. Uh, it is. Uh, it's a great experience. You never. Um, you you never feel for your safety. Uh, in that sense, there's a lot of police presence, tourist police. Um, so they do a good job uh, giving you that that feeling that the tourists the tourists are safe. Um, yeah, I I think. Uh, of course, I wasn't there before the revolution, so I can't give you a comparison. But I I have no complaints. I I felt uh, I can easily go back and and not be worried about it. Great. Now, you know, and I don't want to get in politics or anything like that either. Yeah. Um. But the so the day to day, like when you go there and you're you're working and everything, you feel totally safe. Everything's fine. Uh, no weird stuff and and. Uh, uh, any major adaptions you have to to make before you go to a place like Egypt? Uh, you uh, well, first of all, the, I wanted to say you're asking what you feel weird. No, the Egyptian people are lovely. Uh, uh, it, you make you make friends. Um, you have uh, you have just amazing experiences, uh, and everybody has their own most likely set of experiences. Um, but I can tell you that the twice, the two, two times that I've been there, uh, it was just lovely. Um, special preparations: you have to you have to dress for heat. Um, you have to th remember it's a desert climate, and many people um, have never been to the desert, so you have to just dress up according, you know, in according to the climate. Um, you probably run into a lot of vendors, especially on the Giza plateau. And you just have to kind of get used to that. That's part of the interaction with the local people. They want you to go on camel rides and carriage rides. They want to sell you little gifts. And um, some people might not be comfortable with that in the beginning, but they they mean well. I think that's something you get easy, easily used to, but that's something that you may not encounter in other places that you go. Um, and 
I otherwise I can I can't recommend it uh, more than I have already. It's just a lovely place to go, and you'll have a wonderful time. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, now you go, and you have been going to uh, try to answer some questions and try to investigate. Yes. And you were talking about the Great Pyramid. But before we go to the Great Pyramid, when you first get to Egypt and when you're first out there on the field, what is the most exciting thing you see or what's the overall impression you get? Is there is there just tons of architectural design that you just can't stop looking at? Give us an, an overview of, you know, just it, getting there. Yeah, yeah. In Well, if you're in Giza, uh, if you're in the neighborhood, the village around Giza, if you're in a hotel, let's say, and you have a pyramid view, you, you get a feel for the size of these pyramids. There are mountains. Uh, and then, of course, when you go to the Giza, your jaw just drops. Uh, I mean, he, and it, it happened when I was there the second time. Now, I went up to the Giza Plateau, I think, five, six times and just walked around the whole day. Uh, it's a very peaceful place. So first your jaw drops. And then once you're over your first, you know, your first overwhelming experience and then you start exploring things, then it's just a great place to walk around for a whole day and, you won't you won't be able to finish it in a day easily. It's you 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 need three days to at least see all the the main things on the Giza plateau. Uh, and then in other places in Egypt, uh, you have some very very endearing experiences. For example, when I was in uh, in Luxor and we went to Hatshepsut's temple um, up in her in the inner sanctuary, the artwork has just it's it's like it's speaking to you. Uh, very endearing, um, the style of the artwork. I had a, I had an amazing experience in, in her temple. And then recently, so this last trip, I got to see the Abu Sir pyramids and I went into the mortuary temple, what's left of it, of Sahura. And I had a, a another sort of flavor experience. Uh, it was, uh, it's very peaceful, very, very serene place. Maybe, maybe the most serene place in Egypt I've been to is the, the mortuary temple. So, you know, and everybody has different experiences like that in different sites. Um, and that's the beauty of it. There's so many things to see and there's so many different flavors of experiences that, uh, there's something for everyone there. So now we're going to go to the, uh, Great Pyramid. Now, Khufu's a great pyramid. There's been stories that, uh, you know, uh, the main ones I've heard through through days is that, um, you know, aliens uh, created the pyramid mm-hmm. or other groups had designed the pyramid. And um, and then there's uh, Khufu. Um how do you stand on that? Who built the pyramid? I, you, I, I keep, I'm keeping an open mind, Al, because mm-hmm. I've been I've been taught in my life that you can be convinced of something, and then you get proven wrong. So, and of course, I have a science training, and and when you go through a science training, you that get that gets hammered into you that you can take anything for granted. You always have to question everything. So I look at the current. The, the mainstream model of history as just that, as a model. And that, that model says that the Great Pyramid was ordained 
by Khufu and designed by Hemiunu, his vizier. And that is the model. But is that the truth 100% and nothing but the truth? I don't know. Um, my my contribution in all of that is to look for evidence, and I go with the evidence. Um, that's that's my only guide, and otherwise I have to keep an open mind and be ready for any surprise that may come my way. So, so when you um, decided to start uh, investigating the uh, Great Pyramid, what was your primary goal for this? I stumbled into this, Al. I did not actually... I did not have plans to understand the Great Pyramid any more than than any of you or your listeners. I, I one day I remember this very well. I was looking at the. I was sort of curious about how tall the pyramid was and how the base. And I looked at the numbers, and uh, of course the the famous numbers come from an, a British surveyor by the name of Flinders Petrie, and he had published uh, numbers in the imperial system in inches and and feet, or inches rather, uh, and uh, and then of course you find meter, you find the metric system, um, and but I was looking for the the measure that the Egyptians used because I wanted to know what, how did they measure things, and and that of course the answer is cubits, that's what they used, and I found a graphic on the internet that showed the pyramid uh, as it measures in cubits, and there was a number. Uh, the length of the the side slope. Uh, the technical term in geometry is the apotheme. So the apotheme is the distance between the mid when you're at the base, the, the center, and you go all the way up to the apex. That's called the apotheme. And that number was 356 cubits. And I looked at that number and I said to myself, that number reminds me of something. And what did it remind me of? Well, it reminded me of astronomy. And that was the that was my stumbling block. And from that little moment, everything took off. Um, so that uh, uh, and so the, in a nutshell, the answer to your question is: uh, when you ask me what is my stance on who designed this, I, my answer to your question is: whoever designed this had astronomy in mind. And I, I think I can fit that comfortably into. Uh, the time of Hemiunu, who I think was the true architect. And, of course, I've published papers uh, besides writing this book now after after the fact. And in those papers, I have pretty compelling evidence that he was the architect because his his tomb, which sits right next to the Great Pyramid, just uh, maybe a couple of hundred, hundred meters west of the Great Pyramid, uh, the, the dimensions of his own tomb are... Uh, enshrining the dimensions of the Great Pyramid. And that just blew my mind when I saw that last, uh, actually, I just published that paper this year. Um, so I'm, I'm going with the evidence, and the evidence is telling me astronomy mattered to the Great Pyramid, and the person who designed it put that design into his own tomb. Wow. So, when you started to, when you decided to go further and, and really kind of investigate the Great Pyramid, um, what is it that you wanted to find out? What what would be the most interesting to you? I um, the astronomy is what got me when I first read Robert Bouval's book, uh, the Orion Mystery. That I I I had heard just like anyone else about the pyramids, but when I read Robert's book, that the pyramids were. Uh, may have been aligned uh, intentionally 
with the three stars of Orion's belt, I, I was fascinated by that because this connection between the ground and the sky, that, that was just uh, an amazing concept. And so I think that's been with me this whole time. Uh, so what you're asking is what, what is the specific aspect that's interesting me the most? I think it is how we look at the sky and how we take the sky and bring it down to earth and make monuments with that knowledge. I think that's my favorite part in all of this. Now, you, you are definitely a numbers man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and language, too. I, I'm interested in words and numbers. Uh, and I wrote that on my website because more recently I've written uh, also a paper with uh, Robert Schock, who you probably know, who's the, 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 ge the famous geologist who, with John Anthony West, 27 years ago proposed that the Great Sphinx is much older than we were being told. And so Robert and I, we published a paper recently about the inventory stela, and that's about words um, and how to analyze the writings. Uh, but yes, but this topic, the Great Pyramid, is about numbers. So how do you take numbers and apply, and when you apply them, what kind of evidence do you get? Uh, yeah, great question. Um, the, the, it is about proving intent, right, isn't it? We are trying to figure out what was on the mind of the people that made this monument, whoever they were. And if you have a written piece, then, of course, that proves intent. When, when somebody tells you, okay, I designed this pyramid based on this idea, then you know what they were thinking. But when you have numbers to deal with, then improving intent is a whole other, uh, is a huge problem. And many in the field, a lot, a lot of my colleagues, the, what they have uh, done is they look at the, the mathematical, the, the mathematical messages that come out of the Great Pyramid and they look at the, 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 the collections of all these interesting mathematical relationships, constants, and then the argument basically goes, how can this be a coincidence? How can all of this be found in the dimensions of the Great Pyramid and just be there by random chance? And I completely agree with them. It's not random chance, but what my, my main issue is at this point is how do I prove intent? Because just by proving that's, but just by showing that something is not random chance does not immediately take you to having proven the fact that it was intended. And so, my my role in all of that is to come up with other explanations how all of these interesting mathematical and geometrical uh, f facts can be explained incidentally uh, to some other idea. And I think the connection is, is again, is astronomy, because with astronomy, you bring in physics. And, of course, when you bring in physics, you bring in geometry and mathematics. So I think that's maybe one way you can bridge the two camps, you know, because we have these we have these diametrically opposed camps. We have the orthodox Egyptologists, and then we have the alternative historians, and they're they're not even talking to each other anymore. It's so they're so opposite. And I'm trying to find some way that we can bring people together and have a, a scientific discussion about the, with just looking at the facts and seeing if we can come up with some agreements. And so that's kind of how I see my role in all of that. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I spend my life trying to do that and get yes. people to at least, you know, 
yeah. talk. But, right. Uh, well, as long as long as it's fun and as long as we're getting we're having a good time doing it, Al, I think we'll keep doing it. Right. Of course. Yes. yes. I I love to have people on. I love to talk to everybody I can. Yeah. Um, about anything, and I love to help put them out there and say, "Listen, we've got a good listenership. Get out there and talk. Speak on the thing. It's a That's safe right. place. We're not going to attack anybody. We just want to hear." what you have to say and then you know people need you know that's the difference but because as soon as someone said something it seems like there's a backlash there's people that just want to attack them yes you know? and that's anyway but enough of that <laughs> <laughs> so now Dale, did you discover anything new in the great pyramid or did you expect to find something new in there I did not expect to find anything. I stumbled over it. This is uh, what I was saying with the uh, the uh, the length of the upper theme, the side slope. Um, so I looked at that number and I and I saw uh, a period of the moon uh, in it. And uh, and so this is the new contribution that I I think nobody previously noted that the dimensions of the Great Pyramid, uh, the base dimensions, may have been based on the period of the moon, um, and that's something. And, but it's not the period of the moon that Egyptologists uh, are uh, commonly citing, which is the, the, of course, the shape of the moon that we all see in the night sky. And the month of the moon is uh, when the moon returns to its the same shape where it started. It's a different period that many people don't know about, and that's called the sidereal pe uh, period. So the sidereal pe period is is the number of days that it takes the moon to come back to a certain position uh, against the map of the stars. And so the moon does not have the same shape, but it's in the same spot uh, uh, compared to the stars. And that's called the sidereal period. And that number um, has a relation to this dimension that I was describing. And that's kind of my entry point. So, uh, And of course, I go into lots of detail in the book uh, explaining how that rationale came about, and I, and I also explained the geometry, how how the cycles that we can observe are geometrically related, and how that exact same geometry we find in the Great Pyramid, uh, and that is what baffled me the most when I saw that the core design of the Great Pyramid, which is uh, a triangle that's composed of the half base, the the height, and the side slope. That's uh, it's called the core triangle how the geometry of that particular triangle in the Great Pyramid uh, is, is exactly the same as the geometry that you find relating to astronomical cycles. Uh, and I think that that is the main contribution that I feel I made to the field. Um, and, you know, if I'm proving... Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Wrong, so be it. Um, but I felt like it had to be, it had to be said, it had to be published for people to consider it at least. And then of course they can disagree with it and they can say safe study is wrong and that's okay with me. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Asking a question is never a bad thing. Right. And I have proof, but, and I also have proof, of course. I'm not just, um, I'm not just formulating a theory. I'm basing it on some evidence and the, the, the proposal makes a prediction, and this prediction actually uh, also explains uh, a, a strange papyrus that was uh, f- uh, acquired by a German Egyptologist by the name of George Ebert, and this is called the Ebert's papyrus. On the Ebert's papyrus, there's a calendar, and Egyptologists have, for many years, have argued about the meaning of this calendar, and strangely enough, and I did, know, I did not know anything about this papyrus when I was writing my book. And in the middle of writing the book, I stumbled over this, this calendar and, uh, and the controversy regarding how to explain it. And, and the fascinating thing is the, the, uh, the cycle that I am proposing, that's the, that's the base of the design of the Great Pyramid, actually locksteps exactly with the calendar that's on this papyrus. And that papyrus was composed 800 years after the Great Pyramid was supposedly built. So I felt like that was a good confirmation um, that supported the idea that uh, there was such an astronomical super cycle uh, as the one that I'm proposing in the book. How much more do you expect that we can learn from the Great Pyramid? Oh my God, lots. Uh, okay. We are, yeah, and the good thing is we are now at a in a in at a stage where we can non-invasively probe the Great Pyramid. You may have heard of this last year. Um, a, a scan came out of the Great Pyramid. They found a huge space um, above the Grand the Grand Gallery, and they're scanning again. I just came back from Egypt. I saw the plates. Uh, the detector plates in the grand gallery. So they're, they're doing it again. And so this gives us a way to be able to learn about the Great Pyramid without even moving one stone, um, which the Egyptian authorities, of course, they're very antsy about invasive studies because you never know when, you know, how you do something and then the pyramid might get destroyed or part of it might get destroyed. And of course, a couple of centuries ago, when the early explorers went to Egypt, they used uh, explosives to force themselves into 
the monuments and and there was a lot of looting and vandalism in those days and uh, and that had to stop at some point and nowadays we have the technology to to investigate without destroying even even a little bit and I think that's a good thing so you will learn more about the Great Pyramid probably in the next few months but I'm, I'm I, I just published a paper that predicts there is at least six more spaces inside the Great Pyramid and uh, and so that that'll be put to a test and we'll, we'll know in a few months if I'm wrong, right or wrong about it in general, those spaces found within something like the pyramid, what was the general purpose of those spaces? We don't know. Uh, even this big void that was just discovered, um, all we know is that it's big and that it may be inclined by, uh, similarly as the great uh, the Grand Gallery. The Grand Gallery is it goes up at an angle, obviously. And then it ends in the in the big step, the great step, and then you go horizontally into the king chamber. And um, the even the function so the function of the of the grand gallery is is uh, still being debated. Of course, there are theories. Uh, one of which is that it was uh, a counterweight uh, pulley system where big stones were hauled up. But um, but there's other theories that about something else. It could have been an, an observatory. Uh, before the pyramid was put over it um, to, to look at the stars. Who knows? Um, and so these new spaces inside the pyramid, just the same. No idea, but that's the, that's the beauty of it. That's, you find something new, and then you have to investigate it somehow. Uh, like, uh, you know, you heard about the robot that went into the shafts and found a door um, years oh, ago. Right. Yeah. And so what's behind the door? Well, we don't know. Um, as far as we know, nobody's looked uh, past the first obstacle. Um, but is there, a, is there a papyruses behind the door? Is there a statue? Is there a mummy? We have no idea. But one day, maybe we'll find out. Wow. Now, what, what takes them so long to find out? Like when you discover something like that, why, why isn't it something that's uh, relatively quickly discovered? you know announced what it is yeah yeah that's a great question i there is um the, the thing is i think there's there's a the information flow that comes out of egypt um is uh it, this this it's i think they're trying to control the information flow for good or bad reasons some people may say it's good some people it's bad and i don't want to be a judge of it um i think the problem is that when somebody makes a discovery um, immediately in Egypt, because it's such a hot topic uh, in the world, th you get all these different interpretations, and maybe the ministry wants to get a handle on it and not to have the wrong idea get out. I mean, I got a little bit of a taste of this. I have a YouTube channel. I have a, I put a, a YouTube video, and then uh, a few months later, I, it was being cited in in, in a tabloid newspaper. Uh, with a spin that I completely did not intend. So I know that how things can sort of get out of proportion, and maybe that's what the authorities are worried about. So they, they want to keep a, a, a control over the flow of information, and I understand that to some point. Um, now, the scientists, the archaeologists, the scholars, the people that go there, they are free to, of course, publish. When they find, some, find something, they can publish it, and... Uh, just like the team, uh, the multinational team did that scanned the pyramid, 
they um, published it in Nature uh, magazine. In, I mean, in Nature Journal, uh, their findings. And so they were free, of course, to publish it. And then you can have all the people come in and add their spin to it. That's okay. Um, but I think there is that's the commercialization of the information, of course, is also important. And so you add all of this together, you're not dealing with a purely scientific environment where you know information is supposed to flow freely, because there's all this ex these extra layers of complication added on top. I think that's why you have what you're seeing. It takes time for for news to get out, and um, and uh, yeah, I think I think that explains it. Oh yeah. Now, so during your time. What has been the most, um, let's just say, surprising to you that you've learned while you've been doing this investigation? Um, well, I think the biggest surprise was the the architect's tomb. I there, there have been a lot of moments when I there's. I should maybe I should mention two things that have come up in the last couple of months where my jaw just dropped. So the the one thing is that the tomb of Hemiunu may itself uh, be an architectural blueprint. That that was a shocker when when I saw that, and of course I published it, and I'm going back to Egypt to to verify it. So the the proposal that I made makes a prediction, and and I'm hoping that I can find the physical proof of it. At the at the actual Mastaba tomb, and I've applied for a permit with the authorities to go back and have them allow me to visit the tomb and uh, and and do an inspection. Um, that was that was one that was one shocker. Another shocker, uh, which came out of the paper with Robert Shock, <laughs> um, uh, just a few months ago, with the, about the inventory stealer, was that we looked at the. Um, the, the inventory stealer, for those who do, don't know, is, is first of all, is a, is a limestone plate that has a writing, has an inscription on it that says that Khufu went to Giza, repaired the Sphinx, repaired the Temple of Isis, and built his pyramid uh, and that of his queen. So this is, this is the only written record that we have that actually explicitly says that Khufu built a pyramid. And um, the, the part of that inscription that's interesting to Robert Schock and myself uh, is the Sphinx part. So, because if Khufu knew the Sphinx, that means the Sphinx couldn't have been made by Khafre, who was the son of Khufu. Um, and so we, and Egyptologists uh, in general are not crediting the inventory stealer. They think it's not on a historical record. They think it's, uh, it, it's, a, uh, it's basically made up by priests of the late period to attract business to the temple of Isis at Giza. Um, but we are countering that theory. So we wrote a long paper uh, taking apart the, uh, the orthodox uh, thesis step by step. And so now I'm going to get to the answer to your question. Sorry about the <laughs> long-winded answer. What was, the, what was the shocker? Well, the shocker came when we looked at the pyramid texts. Uh, the pyramid texts are, of course, the, uh, the religious documents written inside of the pyramids of uh, the Pyramid of Unas and uh, Six Dynasty Kings. And so we analyzed a, 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 a section of text in the Pyramid of Unas that's called the Mouth Opening Ceremony, where it is described. And we discovered that the text is actually just a smokescreen. 
the actual meaning of this text is hidden in the words, in the sound of the words that are that make up this text. And that just that just blew my mind. In, in there's even the use of palindromes and similar sounding. It it is it is uh, it is like a Da Vinci Code. Uh, it is where, where words mean one thing, but they sound like something else, and that something else is the deeper meaning that was actually intended. And when we and when so when we discovered this, uh, of course that you know we, you can't just that nobody's going to take you seriously if you say the pyramid text says one thing, but we think it says something else. And fortunately, uh, a very well-respected Egyptologist uh, from Germany, uh, Wolfgang Helk, had already described uh, this phenomenon in his publications uh, decades ago. And so I, there was at least a precedence for this, and then we just expanded on this concept, and uh, and that passage just uh, blew my mind, that that they were that sophisticated. The whole It's already sophisticated the way it is, the pyramid text. But to have this extra level of sophistication hiding behind an already sophisticated piece of writing, uh, that was a huge surprise. Um, so that's the answer to my, your question. <laughs> <laughs> that's the main way. We get so there. That, that's right. So there you have it, numbers and words. Numbers and words. Well, when you... How how is it when you're there doing this, and how are the um, uh, you know government or the agencies and even the people in the vicinity, how are they feel about you being in doing research? Well, I am okay. That's a great question. I I have to explain. I'm a tourist there. I'm not I'm not allowed to do research in a sense that you know I can't do measurements and I can't do scans or anything like that for that you all of those things you need to have a permit but as a tourist of course you're allowed to walk around you, you're allowed to take pictures and photos and a lot of the numbers and words are published uh, elsewhere so you don't need to go to Egypt to research that that those are things that you just pull down from the journals and you read up on for with books and stuff like that um, but when you are in Egypt you you sort of you get the you get the, the, the experience around all the data, the facts, and it's that experience that rounds it off. So to give you an example, exactly what I'm talking about, so in that same pyramid of Unas where that text is that we uh, analyzed and published in our paper, Robert Schock and I, there, uh, there's something that I did not know, uh, and I would have never known this had I never gone to this pyramid. You couldn't go into Unas pyramid when I was there in 2000. 17, but now it's open, so you can actually go inside. And when we went into the sarcophagus chamber, where, where you see the pyramid text, it's 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 mind-boggling to see all these hieroglyphs, such high quality, and then you see the sarcophagus in front of you. And then the guard all of a sudden turned off the light, and he said, I'm going to show you something. And he, he turned on his flashlight, and he was running the light just next to the wall. Uh, next to the, uh, the I think it's the, uh, the south the south wall of the sarcophagus chamber, and all of a sudden, you see a contour appear in the wall that you would never see with regular lighting, and that contour is in the shape of Osiris. Uh, not, and not just Osiris, actually, it's in the shape of the constellation Orion as the Egyptians saw it. 
with a striding figure with one finger pointed up. Uh, and that shape is imprinted life-size into the wall next to the sarcophagus. It's incredible. And that just rounded off the whole experience. So, uh, of course, I saw this after I had published the paper, but that just uh, further underscores it. So when you're saying, you know, what kind of research are you doing in Egypt, that, that's the kind of research. It's basically having a very deep, emotional, tourism-like experience uh, where uh, you take a second look. You're not, you're not just running to the monument to take selfies. You're taking a closer look and you really take it in. And that's, that is where your ideas come from. Uh, and that's where your inspirations come from. And then you go home and you, you read up and you look at the numbers and the words. And you, uh, you, you make your discoveries. Um, but in order for me to do a, an actual research project, I need a permit. And of course, uh, Robert and I are currently applying for a permit to go back to Giza and do a, a study of the Kafre pyramid and of the tomb of Himiunu that I just mentioned. And so we have an, we have an application going. And so we're waiting for them to review it and tell us if it's okay or not. Well. Um, so now that we talk about that, some of the parts of the pyramid itself, now throughout the years I've heard different uh, descriptions, and uh, I'm going to stick to one style of description, the mystical. Yes. The, uh, the, the uh, beyond life sort of, afterlife sort of stuff. Now, there's people that say all the rooms are tuned to the same 440. There's uh, um, there, there there's a ton of different things that that, that faces certain lights, certain stars, certain. Right. Um, now, how accurate is all of that mystical talk? Um, I think there is a lot of truth to it. I um, I haven't looked at all of the objective data. Um, but I know some of the authors in this field that have published these things, and I think they've done very careful studies, and a lot of these things are true. There's and of course that has to do with the geometry of the pyramid in the first place. You have a, you have a, the pyramid is designed over a Kepler triangle, and you, your listeners can easily look up what a Kepler triangle is, but the essence of it is that it's based on the golden angle. And of course, the golden angle is at the heart of a lot of geometry in nature and in the universe, probably. And so it's not a surprise that uh, there are some surprising physical properties, that uh, electromagnetism, sound. Uh, I, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, when you're inside the pyramid, everything is different. You, you, uh, your senses are uh, exposed to a completely different world than outside. Um, the, you ask about uh, the star shaft. So this is a publication by Robert Bouval that was uh, that was also in Orion Mystery. So he talks about the uh, the passages that emanate from the king chamber and from the queen chamber. There's one on each side, north and south. So there's a total of four passages. And uh, and so previously, author uh, uh, it had been proposed that they were aiming to search stars of importance. And then when Robert wrote the book, he added uh, further uh, information to that for the, other two, for the other two shafts. And with those four shafts pointing to certain stars, you can date the construction of the pyramid. That's one way you can date it. Uh, it's called, you know, based on 
astroarchaeology uh, or archaeoastronomy rather um, and so how valid is that I think it's valid uh, I think to have four different shafts pointing to certain important areas in the sky that we know were important to the ancient Egyptians that that means something I don't think you can just dismiss it I think you need corroborating evidence yes like with anything else but uh, I think this is pretty compelling uh, as uh, as a start and then, of course, Robert proposed that the three pyramids are aligning with the uh, belt stars of Orion. And, uh, and there, was a, there was a couple of astronomers recently published a paper, and they tried to falsify it, and they couldn't. They said we cannot falsify – basically, they couldn't falsify the, the alignment, and they said it is within our uh, – uh, they basically concluded is that it could be valid. Um, and um, so – but the mystery keeps on going. There's always people that disagree, There's all, and that's okay. There's discussions, always good to have discussions and debate, um, and we always, can, we always can use more proof. It's okay. Um, but these things that you've heard, I think these are all valid observations, and they're real. Um, people go inside the pyramid, they have certain experiences. I completely uh, agree that these are valid experiences uh, that these people are having. Well, so what what comes up next for you now, or what's your next venture to uh, Egypt, and what do you plan on doing now? So the next trip to Egypt is with Robert Schock in May, and we, uh, like I was saying, we are we have a little bit of a, we have a little research project that we're applying for, and my part of it is to confirm. Uh, I want to see if I can find physical evidence for uh, the the blueprint uh, proposal that the tomb is a blueprint for the Great Pyramid. And then Robert has uh, a separate project that he's pursuing. Uh, so that's that's on the table. Um, then writing-wise, what I'm working I'm working on two different things right now. One is uh, one is a paper uh, that explains one of the most mis- one of the most mysterious aspect of the Great Pyramid, which is its association with the, its numerical association with the speed of light. Um, so I'm currently investigating that, and there'll be a paper out maybe in a month or so. I'm I'm, I'm working on it right now, uh, and then uh, and then the other thing that I am working on is uh, a uh, is Gobekli Tepe, which is in Turkey. I've never been there, um, but uh, uh, Robert has been there many times, and so we're 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 sort of in the in in the early, very early in exploration stage. Uh, of a discovery. Um, there's something that I saw that's very interesting, um, but I, I need a little bit more information. Gather, I need to, to gather a little bit more information to to um, have something that I can share with the public. Well, now let's get the information out for everyone. Now, um, give us your website one more time, and also. Uh, if you have any other pages out there to uh, let sure. people find you. Yeah, so I um, I think probably the, the two main places to go is, uh, one is uh, my, my website, which is cheopspyramid.com. Uh, so Cheops is the Greek name for Khufu, C-H-E-O-P-S, and then pyramid, P-Y-R-A-M-I-D. Cheopspyramid.com is very easy. Um, I have a YouTube channel, uh, and I think my YouTube channel now has actually my first and last name. So you go to YouTube, and then it's custom C, and then forward slash Manu Safesade. I think 
or you can just Google the name and you'll find the YouTube channel. So on my YouTube channel, I have a, I produced a few videos that explain some of the concepts that I mentioned today and others uh, in a little bit more audiovisual fashion. So it's with music and everything. So uh, it's uh, it's a different way to present the material. And then I have a academia.edu page where um, my uh, publications, my papers are, and of course they're free um, to download. Um, so you can uh, find me on academia.edu and just put in my first and last name, and then that's where the papers are. And the papers, by the way, are also on my website. Um, they are free for download. The book is I, – I have a hard copy for sale, and I have a Kindle version and an EPUB version, and, um, and those are also on the website. Um, and if any if people are interested to come join the discussion, we cur we have a lot of discussions on Facebook, so you can look me up on Facebook. Uh, and if you're interested in contributing to the discussion, then I'll let you in on the page. Wow, fantastic! I'll be jumping in on that. <laughs> okay, come on in. <laughs> wow, this has been amazing. Um, we'll have all of the. Uh, sites you've mentioned mentioned and uh, linked up on our website as well so people uh, if they can't remember your name or can't remember they can just click to our site they'll get this interview and they'll have your website YouTube and uh, all your publications right to their tips of their clickboard <laughs> <laughs> right yeah well it's been a pleasure and I hope I hope that you'll be able to come back again and, and tell us what's going on and uh, keep us updated. We have nobody in the uh, in the field that uh, seems to be so dedicated, and and uh, your information is valuable to us. So thank you. you know? Absolutely. As long as I'm welcome, I'll come back, Al. It'll be a pleasure. Always, always. Well, it's been a pleasure, and we've we've been talking about Khufu's Great Pyramid, and uh, what we've had is a scholar, scholar and uh, someone that's been very involved. And uh, Manu, safe the day? <laughs> Good. <laughs> was, was our yeah. guest. Thank you. Sure. Take care. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. When it comes to clothes, having pieces that you can wear anywhere is a must. That's why American Giant makes clothing that fits your life seamlessly, with quality you have to feel to believe. Whether you're stocking up for any weather or picking up a special gift, you'll find an impressive selection of staples to choose from. So whether you're on the hunt for a heavyweight hoodie, a fleece jacket, or a hardworking pair of warm sweatpants, American Giant has what you're looking for. Each American Giant piece is designed to last and created with commitment to doing things better. And all their products are made right here in America. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop Where Anywhere Closet Staples at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code AnyStyle24 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, promo code AnyStyle24. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. <laughs>